right when you don't know what to do just keep on breathing from beautiful huntington beach california on the healthylife.net radio network heard in all 50 states and 135 countries all positive talk radio welcome to all my listeners out there in radio land i'm dave the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com and we are also coming to you live and on demand 24 7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms like iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Block Talk Radio. Oh my gosh, the list goes on and on. In fact, we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60 and number two on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Try to say all that without taking a breath. It's hard. <laughs> Barbara Becker is an award-winning author of Heartwood, The Art of Living with the End in Mind, and she is an interfaith minister who has dedicated more than 25 years to partnering, partnering with human rights advocates around the world in pursuit of peace and interreligious understanding. That's much needed, let me tell you. Barbara is set at the bedside of hundreds of patients as a hospice volunteer and sees each one as a teacher more at barbarabecker.com. But before we get started, I do want to take this moment and thank my last week's guest. Talks about as costs rise, can technology replace caregiving? Ryan McAniff is the owner of Minute Women Home Care, a private home care company, and the owner of Well Aware Care. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews, including this one, on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 26 global networks that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Barbara, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We're so happy to have you on. It is really my pleasure to be here, Dave. <laughs> well, we're both happy that you're here. Uh, and I always like to ask my guests just who is Barbara Becker and why was she placed on this earth? <laughs> I am a mom. Um, as you said, I'm an interfaith minister. And I um, believe that I am here to talk about the most counterintuitive way to live your life fully, which is by turning around and facing death head on, rather than denying that we're mortal. Uh, what would it look like if we actually said, yes, I too shall die someday and to live from there? And, you know, I, I embrace that because I say I treat my day as if it was the last day on Earth. I treat the month as if it was the last month, the year as if it's the last year. And I've written my own obituary, which is, you know, exercises that people recommend you do. So I'm constantly um, making decisions based on that. And it just changes your life because things that you would never dream of doing you know, that are a little risky or a little scary, especially scary. I uh, say, hey, if, I, if I'm not going to be here next year, I will have regrets. And so it, it does open your mind to a whole new future. And I'm, 
I've done things the last five years that there's no way I would have done if I didn't have that attitude. And I'm grateful that I have done them because I've been on uh, 60 TV shows. I've spoken all across the country and I'm not a public speaker. (laughs) You know, I've written four books. I've done all this stuff and it's only because of that attitude. So let's talk about having that attitude. Yeah, I will tell you how I arrived at that. Um, My earliest childhood friend was this beautiful woman named Marissa. And when she was just 30 years old, she was diagnosed with terminal breast cancer. And when, yeah, when her doctors told her there was nothing more that they could do for her, she lived the last year of her life with complete beauty and energy. And she went with her family between chemo treatments to Italy, which was her ancestral home. And she married her college sweetheart, even though she wasn't going to have much During that year? Right before that. And he was such an amazing caregiver. So How old were they? How old were the two of them? They were in their early 30s. Okay. Um, He was just such an extraordinary caregiver to her and still talks about Marissa, even though it's now many years since she has died. My gosh, they need to make a Hallmark movie out of that story. (laughs) They really do. Uh, And he said a shout out to Dave Donati, beautiful human being. But I have to say that during the time that Marissa was dying and living so beautifully, I was an anxious mess. I mean, I had not really confronted mortality in any way myself being relatively young. And so I decided to kind of go on a philosophical year to live while Marissa was living her last year. And I read every last thing I could find. And I discovered that sages and saints throughout time, from the Buddha to the Christian mystics and wisdom holders, um, you know, to Marcus Aurelius and the other the other Stoic philosophers, they all said, if you want to live richly and fully, make sure you realize that you too will die. Yes, you know, I'm a Christian, and so uh, there was uh, this Christian rock singer. He's, he was in this... Uh, Band. He's he's famous for singing that song Eve of Destruction in the sixties. He was the first hippie, and he got saved in the Jesus movement back in the sixties. And so he became this Christian uh, rock singer, and he was doing concerts all over the world. And he was booked in Manila, Philippines, right when Marcos was was being you know uh, kicked out of the country, and and you know the revolutionaries were there with their machine guns, and he was in the hotel and. He was just saying, oh, God, you know, I I trust you with my life, but I don't know if I can trust you with my death. And finally, you know, he got the peace from God. He says, you know, I I can now say if a terrorist came in here with his machine gun, I'd say, hey, man, you know, Jesus, uh, uh, shoot straight because I don't like pain. But, you know, I'm okay. I know where I'm going. (laughs) I can help you know where you're going. And I mean, what an attitude, huh? What an attitude. (laughs) I really decided after Marissa died that I was going to do everything I could to learn about how people derive meaning around the end of their lives. And I got trained by two Zen monks in New York City 
to sit with the dying, to be with people and their loved ones in those last moments of their lives. And um, it, it was such an extraordinary gift. I really view the nearly thousand people I've sat with at the end of their lives as a teacher for me. And I'm, I feel like, you know, it's not so much what I can give to them, but I just kept feeling like I was getting and getting deeper and deeper understanding from these beautiful human beings. Oh, I'm, I'm jealous. Uh, what do they all have in common? Because everyone talks about, you know, near-death experiences or end-of-death experiences. You know, do they see the light? Do they, do they all of a sudden see someone in the room who's coming to get them? I mean, what's, what's in common with all of them? Well, the thing that's in common I learned is that when you know you're going to die, and these were all people on hospice, your future story is taken away. You know, it's not like, what am I going to do next year? Or even sometimes, what am I going to do next week? But you learn to live in the present moment that you have. And that present moment might be be full of pain and full of sorrows, but there's also a, um, there's an aliveness that comes when people live in the present moment. And it's really extraordinary. And I'm thinking whatever endorphins, uh, you know, are going through during your last moments on earth, because there has to be something that makes them happy when they're going through such pain and suffering. And uh, yeah, okay, maybe it's the morphine, but maybe not. Well, I know you're a person who's really interested in story. And I think (laughs) people really um, draw from the stories and the worldviews that uh, help them live their lives. And that could be Christianity or Judaism or Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam. I mean, I'll tell you, I had one woman on hospice who was from New Zealand. She was quite young. And there's an indigenous tradition in New Zealand called Maori. And she was a Maori woman. And I said, here you are in New York City, and you're all alone. Your family is on the other side of the world. And she said, oh, no, Barbara, I'm not at all alone. All of my ancestors are gathering around this bedside to help me transition to the other wow. side. And I just thought that okay. was so beautiful. That was the way that she made sense of the world. Yeah, the Scandinavians, the Vikings, they, they all believe that. Yes, that's right. And and I like to think of my own parents who I wrote about in my book, Heartwood. They died within a couple of months of each other. My father, we expected, he had Alzheimer's disease. But my mother um, unexpectedly died a couple of months after him. And She's uh, very common, by the way. Yes, it's so common. She was she was his caregiver until the end, and I know you talk about that. Um, but I I really think of them as my ancestors now. Yeah. Well, I haven't even been looking at the clock to see if we're up on a break yet. Uh, I think we're okay. Yes, okay, we're good. <laughs> Uh, Talk about the words uh, Heartwood Chronicles. Where did you get that name from? So uh, when my parents died, I was looking around for some kind of symbol or some way to make meaning of my loss. 
And I was walking with my husband in the woods in an old growth forest. And I learned about the heartwood of a tree. And the heartwood is the core pillar of the tree. It's stronger and more durable than the growth rings that grow around it. What's most surprising to people is that heartwood is dead. That hard, inner, durable core is actually inert. It doesn't participate in the flow of water and nutrients up and down the tree any longer. But for the growth rings to grow, it needs the strength of what came before. And I think it turns out we people are a lot like the trees. You know, the people that we've loved and lost form our heartwood, and we grow around it. Wow. That's awesome. I didn't even know what heartwood was. Thank you for sharing that. So people are so afraid to be with the dying, right? Yes. And and we hear stories about someone who had a heart attack, and there's a 50% chance they're going to die during their first heart attack because they're eating too much. They're not taking care of their bodies. But the ones that do survive, the 50%, um, half of those will change their ways and, and get a new lease on life and and start feeling like what we were talking about you know just aware but the other half don't and then uh chances are they'll have another heart attack their second and 50 percent of those amazingly enough will change their life around and the others won't it it's sad but it seems like half of the people are very attuned to this and the other half are just clueless would you agree with that? Because uh, is it because they're afraid of dying or they don't want to think about it? Some people won't even fill out a will because they think they're going to jinx their life. No, I can't do that. Or do a, an advanced directive, you know, and uh, talk about, well, uh, what their loved ones should do in case I'm incapacitated. Should you pull the plug? When should you pull the plug? And so on. I, I think it's fear. What do you think? <clears throat> Oh, I think there's so much truth to that, Dave. I mean, we really are a society that is so afraid to even talk about dying. I mean, we we take our elderly and they live far from us in homes. <laughs> I grew up, I felt so fortunate because my parents were a doctor and a nurse oh. and they care of my grandmothers in our home Mm. in their final years. And I learned so much from that. And I thought it was a common thing. You know, I thought everybody had an elderly house, but it really is the exception. So I I feel incredibly lucky to have watched two very loving people go through the ups and downs of caring for loved ones. Um, I really do believe that we need to talk more about death and dying in mm. our culture. Uh, you know, I got the the privilege of working with Gloria Steinem. Oh, um, wow. was very interested in the topic of this book. And she said to me, you know, telling our stories is the most important thing we can ever do, but it's also the hardest And I think we need to lean into the stories about death and dying in our own lives and to really open up those walls that we've built around ourselves. And I think that with more discussion, more conversation, we'll have more acceptance of death and it will help us live our lives more fully. And when the time comes, live and die more appropriately. Yeah. 
Well, coming to terms with death is a central theme in all religions. What can we learn from various religions and spiritual traditions when it comes to death and dying? So I once walked into the room of a Hindu woman, and I didn't know anything about Hinduism. But these two monks who had trained me told me, you know, you think you're going to go into a room with somebody who's dying and they're going to be wanting to talk about all the existential questions of the world. But if they want to just watch Jeopardy, (laughs) your job is to pull up a chair and watch Jeopardy with them. So I started learning a lot from people. And this Hindu woman had a red pen in her hand and she was writing something in Sanskrit over and over and over again. And I asked her husband what it was. And he said she's writing Ram, 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 which is essentially like writing, oh, God, God, God. Mm. And it was a way of focusing her mind something bigger. And that's what religion and spirituality do, I believe. They put us into the realm of something much bigger than ourselves, which is helpful. So what uh, you talk about cultures, what, what culture, what nationality does your family come from? So I grew up Christian and um, I was uh born into a Dutch family, and we were Dutch Reformed, and I ended up going to a Quaker college. Uh, (laughs) I love Quakerism. Quakerism is really beautiful because it believes in the inner light inside of everyone, which is a spark of God. Then I married a Jewish man, my husband, Davis, and we raised our children Jewish. So... Uh, I really appreciate an interfaith perspective. Um, it's it's quite extraordinary. There's a large percentage of people in our country who are in interfaith relationships. <clears throat> We're one of the most diverse countries in the world in that way. Yeah. You know, I often say that um, tragedy, personal tragedies, can either make you bitter or better. And uh, I almost lost everything in 2008 during that meltdown, that financial meltdown. We had uh, three properties in foreclosure, including our home, almost lost our business to creditors. I mean, things looked pretty bleak, but I just hung in there. I says, you know, God's going to take care of us. He always has. And even if we have to live in a uh, shack somewhere, uh, we'll, we'll have each other and we'll be happy and uh, about seven years later, we totally got over it through a series of miraculous circumstances. And now we're in better shape than we were before all of that nasty stuff happened. But I know people who were in bad shape who had, they didn't come out of it, you know. So um, maybe attitude has something to do with it. I don't know. We'll we'll ask God when we get to heaven, why do two people go to Vietnam, one come back in a body bag and the other one comes back, you know, with no legs as Lieutenant Dan, and another one comes back healthy. Yeah, well, let me tell you what happened on the very day that my book was released into the world. (laughs) Uh, It was not a great day. I had expected celebration and joy. I was actually having surgery for breast cancer myself. Newly diagnosed, and the irony of ironies was that that was mm. my fate on the day of the of a 
release of a book about death and dying. Um, and I really took this in and it caused me to examine what happens when the rubber meets the road. And I believe that we really do live in a world of 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. Yeah. Now, it doesn't do us much good to 100% look at the positive yeah. and the silver linings, because then we're denying the truth that sometimes life is really, really hard. Yeah. So I learned a lot. I learned about a concept called psychological richness, where we have to dig deep and live fully by examining the things that aren't the rosy parts. Uh, people in our in our world of, of positive psychology like to talk yeah. about toxic positivity. And that's this very American tendency to always look at the rosy side. And it's kind of funny because once you realize that it's out there and that's what we're doing, you see it absolutely everywhere. You even see it around death. You know, people said of my friend Marissa, well, at least she got married. <laughs> you, know, at, you know, at least she went to college and had a house and like, you know, she experienced some of her young adulthood, at least, at least, at least. Right. And, you know it really makes sense to look at the whole yin and yang of our existence. Yeah. Hey, listen, we're up on a break, so we will be right back. Don't go away. Hey, everybody, it's Dave Nassani, otherwise known as Caregiver Dave, and I'm coming to you live from this beautiful Acapulco Villa, which I like to say is the perfect prescription for caregiver burnout. And I have a unique opportunity to bring 14 burned-out caregivers up here so that they can decompress and do all the things that they need to do. But this is just a bonus. It actually comes with the six-month Zoom coaching program. It's a one-on-one -on -one consult with me, Caregiver Dave, to identify where you are and where you need to go. It's a six-monthly small group coaching sessions to smash any obstacles between you and your ideal vision of what a caregiver needs to be and caregiver success. You get my three free books and instructions on boundaries, grief, self-care, organization, asking for help, learning how to say no, avoiding burnout, avoiding depression, avoiding perfectionism, avoiding isolation, avoiding resentment, delegation, team building, how to have fun, how to have no guilt, the importance of gratitude, and after caregiving, when you're no longer a caregiver. But this seven-day bonus is absolutely free. It comes with the coaching program that you pay for. And the food is all inclusive. I'm telling you, seven days and seven nights here is amazing. This is truly paradise. And I highly recommend it. For more information, go to caregiverdave.com. That's gonna send you to my other website. And if you want a shortcut to get there immediately, just go to acapocodave.com. Thanks again. I look forward to seeing you in Acapulco. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave Show with my guest, Barbara Becker. I'm Dave Nassani. And we're talking about a lot of cool things <laughs> about death and embracing it and having a different attitude about it, not fearing it. So um, I was going to say before the break, uh, we were talking about yeah, kind of why do... 
bad things happen to good people. I don't know. <laughs> but how do we get through that? How do we get through it when something bad happens to a good person? You can either, like I said before, become better or become bitter. So what would you say is a general rule to help someone who's going through that right now? They just don't see anything good in this. They don't see how anything good can come from this. What, what, what's your experience? How do you get through it? Well, I'll tell you how I got through it. Now, I, um, when I learned I had breast cancer, I spent a lot of time walking with my friend Matt. And Matt has MS um, pretty severely. Now, it's increasing day by day. Mm. And I was kind of leaning on him and racing forward in my mind, like, you know, what if I don't survive? What if I don't see my kids graduate from high school, from college? You know, what if I don't see them get married someday? What ifs? And that turned to me and he said, you know, Barbara, it sounds like you're writing chapter 24 of your life when you're only on chapter four. And it just was like a lightning bolt to me of just a revelation that truly we have to live in the present, no matter what that present looks like. Not life as we want it to be, but the life that we have right before us. Yeah, you know, you play the cards you're dealt. And the Bible says, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And you know, look at the lilies of the field. Do they worry about what they're going to wear? Yet God clothes them in garments greater than King Solomon. And, and look at the birds of the air. Do they worry about where their next meal is going to come from? Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And so uh, that's my attitude. Uh, don't waste your time worrying because 90% of everything that I've ever worried about never happened. All that wasted energy, that time, that money, just forget about it. Things will work out somehow. And that's that's my attitude. So many patients I've met have requested to hear the serenity prayer. Mm. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah, great prayer. Well, we can talk about next Uh you were so affected by questions about how people make meaning that you decide to you decide toward the end of the book to go to seminary and become an ordained interfaith minister. Yeah, we didn't talk about that yet. Let's talk about you becoming a minister. What were you thinking? <laughs> yeah, you know, so this is a midlife pivot for me. <laughs> And rights work around the world, you know, in Africa, Asia, Latin America. And it was my job to write uh, op eds on behalf of policymakers explaining complicated things. But as I got like deeper and deeper into working with the dying, I decided, you know, I really do want to go back to school. I want to see how people make meaning in their lives. I didn't intend to have a pulpit or to, you know, do religion in that kind of super religious way. I just wanted a, a good cross-cultural understanding of meaning. But I went to a beautiful, unique seminary in New York City called One Spirit, and um, I became ordained. And in the is that end, Catholic? What, what religion is that? 
it's interface. Yeah. So our our teachers are priests mm. and monks and rabbis oh. uh, and imams and uh, Native American teachers. It's it's a beautiful place for people who really do um, want to talk about the part where religion has a commonality, has like a, a big fount that runs beneath all of them in its truest form um, that really values who we are as beings of, of light and love. Yeah. Wow. Hey, listen, we're up on another break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. Welcome back to the Caregiver Dave Show with my guest, Barbara Becker. I'm Dave Nassani, and we are talking about death and other things that go with it. Um, so you shared that you were recently diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, just as Heartwood was being released, wow. Can you tell us how you're doing now and what you've learned from writing this book that helps you now? Mm. Yeah, thanks for asking. I actually am doing so much better now. I was lucky to be diagnosed early. And uh, I had the funniest experience, Dave, when my doctor told me over the phone that I had cancer. So it was during the time of COVID. And, you know, this doctors will tell you on the phone during COVID, (laughs) something they would only call you into the office for. Um, But I was thinking, you know, people often ask, why me, when something like that happens? Absolutely. On all this work on death and dying, my response was, why not me? And we'll all have something at some point. We're all going through something. We're all going through something. And I think that we must learn that these roadblocks in our lives aren't roadblocks at all. They're actually our lives. No, and it's and it's our job to walk through these situations that we clearly would never have wanted. Well, amen to that. About your book, Hardwood. What has surprised you about the reactions that readers are sending your way? I assume they're leaving reviews on Amazon or maybe calling you or writing you. How does the book contribute to the growing interest in the so-called 
death acceptance, for lack of another word, or conscious dying movements, because there's other people out here talking about what you're talking about, right? Yes, that's so true. So there's something called the Death Cafe. I don't know. Yes, if you've I've heard of, heard, of heard of it. Yeah. It's in 81 countries around the world, and strangers gather. They meet online, and then they gather in person where they can, and they talk about everything they've ever wanted to say about death. I'm scared. Yes, a a I mother I know who lost a child, that's that's how I found about it. Her and her husband started going because they, they were devastated, you know, and she was a Christian, and it's like, how could this happen to us? You know, we serve God, and it really helped her. They are really beautiful. I mean, they're not meant as therapy sessions at all, but just for honest, everyday people to openly explore with one another all of our questions around death and dying. There are other ones called like death death over dinner. Um, you know, this is really a fascinating trend. And it's called the death acceptance movement, because more and more people are beginning to realize that we have to talk about death and dying in our culture. But what's been really surprising to me is that while I'm talking in the book mostly about the loss of our, our bodies, um, our physical form, so many people have come to me and said, you know, this really resonates um, for my divorce. You know, when I lost a person, not to a physical death, but they're no longer in my life. Yeah. Or people who have lost their homes or a business, like as you were talking about earlier. You know, there's so many ways to practice dying in our yeah. world. Yeah. Or my wife who had a stroke and cannot speak anymore so she's different but she's not the same it's like she died and you have to get to know this new person who's, who's still the same person but communication is much much more difficult that's right there's so much authenticity to that and i really admire the way the two of you have moved through that you didn't deny it and you didn't say she's going to get better for sure you said okay this is a new reality we have to mourn new normal. We'll a new normal and to find new ways to grow together as human beings it's been quite a beautiful example to hear your story thank you but you know if you take your vows seriously, because uh, we almost broke up because she was angry and bitter most of the time during the grief process. But then, you know, I went to a caregiver support group, learned there are other caregivers out there just like me. I wasn't alone. And then uh, I just started taking care of me first with the oxygen mask, you know, and she slowly started responding and our love was rekindled and we both reinvented ourselves. I became Dave, the caregiver's caregiver, helping other caregivers. And she started traveling with me. So, yeah, if we can survive this, uh, anybody can. You know, most marriages break up from something like this. Yes, that's so true. I've seen that happen in my own family. My um, aunt and uncle lost one of their children. Mm. And it happens so frequently that couples break up when that happens. Um, it's really extraordinarily painful. And to have people who can reinvent themselves, you're giving yourselves a great gift, but you're giving the rest of us a great gift in your example. Because we I, all need I that help so. others. You certainly so. are. Yeah. Now, you're teaching us in your book how we can accept death. Um, 
your journey. I'm, I'm assuming that you're teaching us what you learned and that when you're telling us to do these things that you have done them yourself. Uh, is that true? Or did you struggle with a lot of this stuff also? And what's your current journey looking like today? Yeah. So there are some stories that I never told before that are in this book around loss. One of them was uh, around two miscarriages mm -hmm. that I had. had. I really, it's, it's very rough. Um, but I decided if I was going to be looking honestly about death and dying in our culture, then I had to confront some of my own losses that were taboo before that. Um, that. You know, these happened about 20 years ago, and we didn't have social media, and nobody, you know, no celebrities were talking about their miscarriages. And I felt so alone. And I was so afraid of people's pity. Like, I didn't want pity. So I just didn't want to talk about them at all. And then years later, we had Facebook, and I was on Facebook one day on October 15th, which is the National Day of Loss Around Infancy. And I put up on my post, um, you know, I lost two daughters to miscarriage. Their names were Arden and Adele. And if you have anything in your life like this, drop a comment. And before I knew it, I had hundreds of people who I knew really well, women and men, who wanted to share their stories. Which they had um, never shared before. Which they had never shared before. Mm -hmm. The crazy part is that I knew all of these people, but only knew half of the stories. Wow. And this is what happens if we don't talk about losses like that, if I don't talk about my own journey with cancer, if we don't talk about what leads up to our, our frailty as human beings, then how do we expect to gain right. strength um, around death and dying as well? Yes, in my speaker training uh, from my mentor that I've been taking um, he's, he always says, tell the story that you have never told anybody and that you don't want to tell anybody. And that's the powerful, powerful story that, you know, just brings your authenticity and your genuineness out. That's right. That is a story that is not rehearsed. It's the story that comes from your heart space and that really has the power to penetrate others who are in need. Well, listen, we're up on our final break, so we'll be right back. Don't go away. I'm Dave Nassani. My fourth book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is a number one bestseller on Amazon. As a young boy, I was told I possessed an unusual amount of wisdom for my age. As a young man, I found myself counseling friends and older family members whenever they needed answers to their problems. Then at 21, I read the Bible for the very first time and learned how King Solomon asked God for wisdom instead of riches, yet he received both. I was so impressed that I too asked God for wisdom. Soon after, I discovered when lying on my hammock, I would receive wisdom from God. This book is the result of my passion to share with the world wisdom's tremendous benefits. Join me as I reveal practical aspects of wisdom for the mind, body, and spirit. 
31 Lessons I Learned from God That Can Change Your Life. Available in hardcover, audible, Kindle, and paperback. Wherever books are sold. I've spoken all over the country and London and am available to speak at your event. Contact me at hammockwisdom.com. And we're back on the Caregiver Dave show, wrapping it up with our guest, Barbara Becker, and I'm Dave Nassani, caregiverdave.com. And Barbara, in the final moments of the show, um, what are you hoping that people will get out of your book? I hope that people read this with others. I've been hearing from a lot of book groups, and they've been having rich, deep conversations that while they may have even been together for like 15 or 20 years reading books, it's the first time that some of them are telling stories about the losses of their lives, about their hopes and their fears around their own death. And I really want people to crack open, to be honest, to be truthful. in Japan for a while. And I just want to tell you this final story. There's a beautiful uh, ancient tradition of taking cracked pieces of pottery and instead of gluing them together so you don't see the cracks, they put gold dust in the bonding element so that the cracks become very evident, very pronounced. Because this is our lives too. The hardest places, the places where we've cracked open, are the place where the light and the gold and the beauty shine through. That's what I want for everyone. Wow. And again, how can they reach you, reach the book? I have a website, barbarabecker.com, which has a lot of resources on it. Um, and my book is available wherever books are sold on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, indie bookstores, and my very favorite uncommongoods.com, which has a sympathy gift category. That's quite beautiful. Well, we still have a little bit of time left. So, um, what would you like to talk about that we haven't discussed so far? I would love to talk about kids and death and dying. Oh, they accept death a lot easier than us adults, don't they? They really do. Kids are tapped in. They want (laughs) to talk about these things. And, um, you know, I've been talking about my death to my two young sons since they were quite little. You do it in age-appropriate ways. You follow their questions. You answer what they are asking and you don't like glom on a whole bunch more but it turns out i think we can learn a lot from the openness of children as well now i was actually a a young child when i first learned about death myself i learned that my father had been married to someone before my mom who had died tragic boating accident and i have to give my parents a lot of credit for including this woman in my life too. You you find that children usually don't bring up the topic unless maybe a grandfather dies or do they bring it up when nobody has died? They children learn a lot from nature. It's it's really extraordinary to watch or an children. animal, a pet. Exactly, a pet loss 
they'll bring it up if a goldfish, a goldfish died. I was going to say. <laughs> they want to know, like, where where have they gone? Will this happen to you someday? Like, they don't they don't necessarily <laughs> think of themselves right away, you know? but they they think about their grandparents and their parents, and you know, as time goes on, they they want to know. Where are they? You know, is there such a thing as heaven? What does that look like? You know, and they start to have a healthy relationship with the full cycle of life and loss when we aren't so walled up and afraid to talk to them. Yeah. Do you find that they start thinking about the self-awareness, you know, that who am I? I mean, because I started thinking about it at a young age. I'm saying, what? What am I? Who am I? How did I get here? Uh, was I always and will I always be? I mean, those are deep philosophical questions. How old does a child have to be before they start becoming self-aware like that? I was eight when I started thinking about this, but it's only because I had learned about my father's first wife. And it is quite true that children will ask the questions as death becomes relevant somehow in their own lives or the, or the lives of their friends who might have lost a grandparent. Um, and then there are kids who are more philosophically and sort of religiously attuned, I think, than, than others. But we all have this fundamental curiosity that gets sparked, I think. Well, as you know, my audience are burned out caregivers, the ones who can't seem to learn how to put their own oxygen mask on first, so much so that 30% of them actually die uh, before their loved ones do. And even on my Facebook page of 34,000 Caregiver Dave, um, there are caregivers who will argue with me uh, when I try to convince them that caregiving can be, you know, uh, beneficial and self-rewarding and and joyous and they said what's joyful about changing you know, dirty diapers and this and that you know they just they just don't get it and i wonder if they'll ever get it you know so there's there's about a third of of my audience who are just in this they were drafted into it like they were drafted into the army and they're not happy they'll never be happy and they're just kind of waiting for it to be over um are you like me and uh or are you a little more optimistic and and is there hope for those people <laughs> yeah i believe there's actually hope for everyone with the I right knew you'd say that support <laughs> and mentorship and forming groups i you know i really believe that all caregivers should do one thing exclusively for themselves a day you know, something that's not for the person they're caring for, whether that's going outside and having a phone conversation with a friend while they walk around the block, you know. Um, that's my, a great my, idea, actually telling them, you know, don't let this day go by without you doing at least one and preferably two or three, but at least one thing that you could say, I did this for me. I'm being selfish right now. And uh, I need this. That's exactly right. I mean, if it's 1150 at night and that <laughs> day out to disappear, do something, meditate, read a book. Go out, look at the go. stars. Yes, go look at the stars. I know, say a prayer, whatever it is that's for you, that nourishes your own soul. 36. 
So how's the book doing? The book is doing really well. I'm I'm so glad that the Unitarian Universalist Church has included Heartwood in their required reading for their adults education program. Wow. Um, feel so honored about that. It's being picked up by social workers at cancer centers and chaplains wow. training programs. But my favorite are just the everyday people like you and me who pick it up and read it, feel nourished, and then give it to people who are experiencing loss. Sure, share it. Yeah. Um, is this your first book? Um, how did you start writing? This is my first book. Um, I've always loved writing, and uh, I was I was writing very complicated policy white papers as part of my life. And at some point, I said. <sighs> oh, do have my own story to tell. I think that writing slows us down, makes us think about our own lives in a richer, deeper way. Um, and for me, it was quite cathartic, very healing, because I wrote about people, deep loved ones in my life, and really processed those losses. Mm. Wow. Well, I can't believe how fast this time has gone. Um, I just want everyone to know that all our live shows become recorded pod and video casts on your favorite platforms. And my newly released book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is spreading wisdom all over the world, available wherever books are sold, and also on my free membership website, caregiverdave.com. And if you join my Caregiver Dave Facebook community of 34,000 caregivers, you'll learn all about my new Acapulco Villa Caregiver Wellness Retreat and Vacation Offer, that I offer to burned out caregivers trying to keep as many of those 30 percenters alive before their loved ones do. And if you click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on, it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithms. So thanks again to all my listeners out there all over the world for tuning in every Wednesday and making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. So until next week, same time, same channel. May God richly bless you all. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again.